Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you uh, want to get a winning cup, when you go into Tim Hortons, I got a hot tip for you. And when you play Roll Up the Rim at Tim Hortons, the best time to play is the middle of the night. Why you're drinking coffee in the middle of the night, that's your concern. Uh, but why the middle of the night? To help explain that is a man who has become a bit of a celebrity of late as the stats prof who cracked Roll Up to win. He's Michael Wallace, Associate Professor of Biostatistics at the University of Waterloo, and I'm assuming he hasn't slept in about 30 days, and he's with us now. Hi, Michael. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Are you a big coffee drinker? Um, I'm actually, I, I have to be honest, uh, you, you may be able to detect a slight hint of accent uh, in my voice. I'm, I'm originally, I'm, I'm now a Canadian, I, I want to stress that up front, but I'm originally from the UK, so I do actually go for the tea more than the coffee. Yeah, well, I guess it's the same thing, you can get in the same cups, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's, uh, it's a, bit, a big part of why I'm so into this contest is because, uh, you know, they say you win a free coffee, but the real secret is that you can convert it to tea, and I need tea to survive, believe me. <laughs> Fair enough. So explain your overall strategy. I mentioned that uh, you found that the best time to play Roll Up the Rim was the middle of the night. So explain your the whole strategy of this. Sure. So, yeah, so a big change happened with the contest uh, back in 2020. So you know, prior to this, we're all familiar with when the game was on the physical cups and, and you'd go and you'd buy your coffee or in my case, a tea that had you a cup and there'd be a little message printed under the rim saying whether you're, you'd won or lost. And then um, 2020 rolled around, they changed the game, they moved it onto the, the app. And that actually changed how we as players uh, interacted with the game because now you'd buy your drink um, and it would load what they call a digital role onto the app. And it's at that point not actually decided if you've won or not. When you choose to then go back into the app and play that digital role, the timing of that play is what determines whether you win or lose. And what this leads to is a game format where you are, in a sense, competing with other players. You can almost imagine that at all times, the sort of prizes flying through the air above your head, like free coffees and cards mm -hmm. and holidays and, and things. And you're trying to click on the app to play your entry uh, to try and reach up and grab one of those prizes. But if there's someone else who clicks on their app at like just the same time, they might reach up and grab that prize just before you get to it and snatch it out of the air. So you want to try and play when as few people are playing as possible. So there's less competition for those prizes. And what I was able to do this season was using data that Tim's themselves actually published, um, do some math, do some stats and find out sort of statistically speaking when the best time to play would be. Yeah, so so everybody can do this. They don't necessarily have to be in the Tim Hortons in the middle of the night. They just use the no, app. No, no, no. Oh no, absolutely no. You uh, you, you buy your drinks whenever. Um, and then you can sort of sit on those roles, you can save them, and then you get to decide uh, when you're going to play them. And that could be, you know, when you buy your drink at the time, lots of people 
we see from our data seem to buy their drink and then they'll maybe be you know selling, uh, selling their tims uh, and they'll play the role immediately but you can just hold off and wait uh, and maybe you know either stay up late or get up in the middle of the night uh, and try your luck then instead yeah so what was the process i i know i read that you were looking you could refresh the app and see how many people won at a particular time but what was the process how do you crunch the numbers yeah, so uh, so Tim's in previous seasons, um, they gave us some data, but, but nowhere near as much as we have this time. And, and in previous years, I was basically guessing the best time to play. I figured, you know, middle of the night, um, it's a bit tricky because, you know, we're, we're a big country. We span six time zones. So I was guessing like 4, 4.30 a.m. Eastern seemed about right. But then this season, they were giving us the numbers of the total prizes that have been awarded. So, you know, if you go on the, the website now, it'll tell you that I think about 18 and a half million prizes have been given away. But if you wait a few minutes and then refresh that page, that number will increase a little bit. And that actually gives you an insight into how many people are winning and how many people are playing during a particular period of time. So over the first couple of weeks of the contest, I was checking in on the site, I was refreshing, I was logging the time, I was logging the number of prizes. And as I was doing that, I was gradually building up a set of data and then using you know stats to analyze it. I was able to see patterns in those data. And those patterns that you could see were what you would expect, which is more people are playing during sort of the daytime um, and less people are playing at night. But by doing some more sophisticated analyses, I could actually, you know, join the dots in my data set and pinpoint exactly what would be the best time to play of them all. And where does the the different prizes fit in? Because obviously most of them are free cups of coffee, but then there's the the grand prize of all sorts of things, cars and stuff. How does that all work? Yeah, so one other thing I was uh, interested in looking into was the distribution of those other prizes. So um, we've got to look at the, the, the numbers in the rules of how many prizes are available. And you're right, most of the prizes, I think about 55%, um, are those free coffees. Um, I think about 10% are free donuts. Uh, there's, there's things like Tim's uh, loyalty points that you can sort of trade in for other things and some coupons. And then there's those really, really big prizes as well, like the cars and the vacations. Now, what I was able to see from digging a little bit deeper into the data is that those bigger prizes, um, they are out there, but they are very, very difficult to win. They're, they're very, very rare uh, to give a sense of scale um, that there are 20 million prizes in total and there are 50 15, 1, 5 uh, cars to win. So you don't need a statistician to tell you your odds of winning those are pretty small. But <laughs> some, some people are winning them. Um, but what my strategy does is that it doesn't increase your chances of winning those big prizes specifically, but it does increase your chances of winning overall. And by extension, that means you do have a slightly better chance of winning something substantial. But I always like to stress your chances there are still, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty slim. If you win a car on roll up, you might want to then go out and buy a lottery ticket because it might be a lucky day. Um, I'm guessing, but I don't know if this is true, that when you were a kid, you played a lot of these contests. I remember when I was a kid, you'd buy a bottle of pop and on the cap, you would peel off the thing underneath the top of the cap and then you would get like a puzzle piece or something and it would be like a, a checkerboard and you would win contests that way. Uh, were you a, a player of all those contests when you were a kid? 
Oh, absolutely. You're, you're unlock- unlocking distant childhood memories. <laughs> I've forgotten that had. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I've always been, so, you know, I've always been interested in like math and puzzles. Um, and contests like that, um, I always find, uh, I've always found very interesting. Um, because obviously there's like the stats and probability involved in them, but they're also just kind of fun. You know, I, I'm not just, you know, a, a number crunching machine. You know, <laughs> I, find, I find playing games and, and the chance of winning them interesting. But I also, you know, as, as this roll up stuff demonstrates, I like to think about how they're designed and, and, and whether or not there are opportunities for us to find an advantage. Yeah, I think that's really interesting for most people. It's not just that they want to win. I mean, they do want to win, obviously, but they want to know, you know, what the odds are and how, how that all works. And, and maybe can you give us examples of where statistics come into play in our everyday lives other than roll up the rim? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a thing I, I often tell, especially the students I teach at the University of Waterloo, um, is that everyone really is a statistician. Like we are always making decisions that are based on probability and data. Uh, and often we don't realize we're doing it. You know, you can think of things like looking out the window or listening to the weather report and deciding, do I need to take a jacket today or an umbrella? Like that, that's a probability based decision. Um, things like if you're getting ready to drive to work, deciding when to leave, accounting for the traffic, like traffic is a random or semi-random event, and you want to budget for that in your planning and and all of that uncertainty. So you're making these decisions uh, from a statistical perspective. Basically, any time there's some kind of uncertainty in your life and you're having to decide whether to do one thing or another uh, based on your assessment of that uncertainty. Are there areas of life where we make terrible choices based on the statistics? Um, I think there are, I don't know about terrible choices. There's certainly, uh, you know, there's lots of literature around uh, things in gambling. We, ha- we have things like the what's known as the gambler's fallacy, which is that people feel that if they lose a certain number of times, they're bound to win the next. And you do see that crop up in sports quite a lot, this idea of uh, if someone is on a hot streak, they're going to keep scoring. And if someone's on a cold streak, they're maybe not going to score. Um, but, you know, Streaks have to end and streaks have to begin. So, you know, we have to be really careful not to fall into those traps of looking at past data uh, and thinking they may influence future data when sometimes they will, but often they won't. Right. And it seems like it's uh, statistics versus magical thinking. <laughs> that's one that's one way to look at it for sure i think i think often when it comes to mathematics and statistics um sometimes it can feel a little bit like magic like sometimes the the numbers can sort of get very complicated and confusing and and sometimes a mathematician will tell you something that will seem uh you know very implausible or very almost sort of magical uh but yeah a lot of the time it's about the the kind of the reality that the world is maybe a little bit less interesting that we might think like things generally behave in predictable ways uh, but that doesn't stop that when the world behaves in a slightly unexpected way uh, that we can find that fun and exciting and, and even find some fun math in that as well right are you a su- superstitious person <laughs> uh, not for the most part. I will admit that as a as a statistician, um, I do still you know get a bit worried going on a plane, and and that's like a classic thing. You know, we all hear the planes are the safest way to travel, um, and I know you know the data and the stats behind it, but I still do get a little bit nervous on takeoff and landing. I'll be honest about that. Yeah, because it's true. Statistically, you're in more danger driving to the airport than being on the plane. 
Yep, that's exactly right. And there, there's a whole world of, uh, of basically psychology around those types of decisions. And, and this, this is where statistics to me gets really fascinating and how the statistical and mathematical world then interfaces with how people's psychology behave. And when you look at something like um, you know flying versus driving, a lot of that boils down to a sense of control. You know, if you're driving your own car, you have a, an assessment of your own risk. And typically speaking, we tend to overestimate our control of situations, our control of risk. And conversely, if we put ourselves, you know, on a plane where we're trusting in the pilot, who is someone we maybe don't even see, that's where it can feel more dangerous. Even if statistically we know it's safer, there's that sense of loss of control that creates that perception uh, that things are more dangerous than they actually are. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear you talk about statistics because statistics kind of seem for a lot of us like a very sort of uh, niche thing, but they're it's actually a bigger part of our lives than we know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes uh, about statistics, um, there's a guy called uh, Tuki who said that um, the best thing about being a statistician is that we get to play in everyone else's backyard. And what that means is that I, as a statistician, even though my, you know, my training, my world is kind of math and stats, the work I actually do can cover, you know, everything. You know, I, I'm talking to you about a, a coffee contest, but I also do research into uh, scientists trying to design new methods for uh, identifying cancers. And I've done work working with nutritionists about the food we eat and the, what goes into uh, the ingredients of what we make at home and what we eat at restaurants. So data, wherever there's like numbers or data or humans doing things, um, statistics are underneath that all the time, uh, influencing decisions that we're making and influencing how those systems are behaving in response to us. Mm -hmm. And if you're just joining us, Michael was talking about how if you want to boost your chances of winning uh, when you're at Tim Hortons playing uh, the Roll Up the Rim contest, uh, play the game late at night, in the middle of the night. And and that brings me to my other question. What do you think of when, when you see uh, lotteries? Like, do you even bother to 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 sort of study lotteries uh, yes yeah, so there is there is some stuff you can do with lotteries now lotteries are um, in a sense some of the uh, they're like an idealized experiment almost because they generally are very very close to what we might call true randomness often if you have a lottery where there's like a physical machine with balls that tumble around. Um, that's a very, very you know, robust system that's very difficult to exploit. Um, but when you look at a lottery, uh, the one, the one tiny thing you can do is you get to choose your numbers. Um, and most of the time, this won't matter. But there are some lotteries where those jackpots, like the really big money, they actually get shared. So if more than one ticket has the winning set of numbers, uh, that jackpot gets split across uh, multiple people. And so whilst it's uh, almost certainly not going to make a difference because you're, you're almost certainly uh, not going to win that jackpot, um, there is uh, some work that I, I've done with some colleagues studying the numbers that people actually pick when they play the lottery. Um, and because in theory, if you do win, you want to make sure you win when no one else does. So you want to try and pick the numbers uh, that other people aren't picking. So it's a, it's a bit like Tim Hortons playing when other people aren't playing. You want to try and pick numbers that other people aren't picking. And some lotteries actually publish historical data 
um, that you can then run analyses on to find out uh, which are the most popular and which are the least popular numbers. So you want to avoid things like, you know, lots of people pick the number seven, lots of people pick birthdays. You want to avoid those numbers from one to 31. Um, And that can give you this, you know, the tiny, tiniest of edges. But in, you know, realistically speaking, a lottery is about as close to a sort of a perfect If you want to get more, uh, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. I'll put it that way.